Hello and welcome to Movies and Tea. I'm your host, always Edward, and join me, of course, my co-host Kim. Hello. And we are continuing on this episode our season-long reevaluation of the filmography of Ang Lee. Tonight, continuing with his breakout into the studio system with 1995 Sense and Sensibility, a American period drama film. Um, Adapted, of course, from the Jane Austen 1811 novel of the same name, when working from a screenplay from Emma Thompson, who here also stars as uh, Eleanor Dashwood, who, along with her sister Eleanor, played by Kate Winslet, play a pair of sisters who are forced to seek financial security through marriage when their father passes away, and they are thrown into a rather destitute situation uh, when the so-called promised inheritance is not delivered upon by their brother. Kim, I mean, obviously, tonight we're talk- this film is a little different than what we looked at on our previous episode. We were obviously talking about The Father Knows Best uh, trilogy, a combination of both Chinese and English language dialogue, and certainly a rather interesting trilogy of, of films. Uh, obviously, as you rightfully pointed out, they ultimately culminate in the fact that Father perhaps does not know best. And now we're here on sort of more traditional fair with obviously an, an Austin adaptation. I mean, when it came to the film, Anglia never read the book, and it was only what only actually read it once he had been sent the the script by Thompson. And she'd at this point she'd spent five years working on the script and it was very up in the air whether she was going to actually star in the film or not as there was other actors that they wanted to bring in to play the role of uh, Eleanor but she did obviously ultimately take uh, take on the role and this was obviously her first screenplay as well so it's a real challenge uh, all around really I mean we've got Ang Lee coming in off the independent circuit obviously with his treasure films his first real English language film and he's here tackling Austin he's working with a first time script writer so it's kind of surprised that this would be the film that like ushered in this whole slew of Austin adaptations when it became this huge success when it was uh, released back in 95 but I mean Kim I'm writing to you like an Austin fan already is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an, I, I like Jane Austen a lot. Um, I've read most of her books except for one, which I'm having a hard time getting through. But okay. uh, yeah, but Sense and Sensibility is not one of my favorites. Uh, well, it's not. It's not not my favorite. It's just it has its I don't know tougher moments to get through. I guess um, it's for kind of the more. I guess it's you know I find Austen stories are in age groups. You know. So Pride and Prejudice is in that kind of age group, whereas Sense and Sensibility is kind of like a little bit older. You'd probably appreciate it a little more because of just where the girls are at, you know, at at the stage where, you know, Marianne and Eleanor need to find their suitors. and, And especially this is a story more in more about Eleanor Dashwood, which is, you know, Emma Thompson's character who... Who is you know known? Who is seems to be more urgently needing to seek a husband because she's you know getting older as well. Yeah, she's the eldest sister, so you know it's it's kind of a different thing. So yeah, for for sure, like um, I mean, Austin adaptation works uh, in the sense where you know I was reading up on you know Ang Lee's uh, 
Angley's, you know, why he got hired for it in the sense that it seems that he didn't really quite understand why he got hired either (laughs) until, you know, he, you know, until uh, he realized that, you know, until he realized that, um, you know, partway through that um, Austin was something that he might have not known before, but he really gets the kind of sense of humor that Austin has in, in, in just how they mesh the whole social satire and family drama. Certainly so. I mean, I mean, Austin is, I perhaps rate slightly just below Bronte in terms of when we're obviously talking about the classics. I mean, I read them years ago when I used to spend summers over in my, my uh, grandmother's and finding lack of reading material, worked my way through many of the classics just for something to read. And, and the sentence I mean Austin has obviously got that built in appeal for the especially for British audiences where all we seem to churn out over here is these costume dramas it seems to be our main sort of uh, bread and butter when it comes to film production and while Sense of Sensibility I think is like just below Pride and Prejudice which is the one that everyone sort of goes to when they think of like the Austin adaptations I think the appeal of uh, Colin I wouldn't say Colin Farrell. No, I don't think it's right. No, Hugh Grant. No, it wasn't Hugh Grant. It was the guy who was in Kingsman. Uh. Okay. Colin Firth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, the appeal of Colin Firth in a pond seems to outweigh the appeal of the story we're told here with these two sisters, obviously trying to find suitable matches. Um, which obviously, we amongst the suitors here, we've got. Hugh Grant giving a very good impression of a tree, as well as Alan Rickman, uh-huh. who seems rather lost in this production. He seems to, <laughs> he seems like a rather unsuitable suitor uh, because of his uh, advanced age compared to the other members of the cast. It seems like a rather awkward match there. But well, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I mean, just to, you know, I wouldn't say that. I would say that Alan Rickman's character. I think that. In terms of characterization, most of them are done pretty well. I think the really in-your-face thing, especially if you know Austin really well, it would be kind of like that Willoughby character, which um, was played by Greg Wise. Mm. It's kind of like, you know, most of the men fit in the description, especially because Alan Rickman's character is Colonel Brandon, and he's supposed to be a more older man and you know kind of like not quite the man that Marianne is looking for but who is just you know crazy about her definitely so and again this is the problem I have with these these period dramas is because obviously being a Brit I mean we're surrounded by this stuff I mean it's the sort of history that we're surrounded with uh, so you know compared to like in American audiences or perhaps in your case Kim the Canadian audiences where you haven't got like rain swept moors and stately manners to uh, constantly be in your, in your sort of face it holds more of an exotic appeal the same way that like the American crime dramas do for uh, us do for myself and that's why it doesn't prevent the same, provide the same sort of escapism the idea of running around moors and bodices and pretty bonnets that uh, I know that the fans of this material certainly appreciate and was perhaps kind of lost on myself. I mean, the story, the filming itself, I mean, it's, it's not Lee doing anything particularly fancy at this point. I mean, I said it is still his first jaunt into the studio system. Here, working with his largest budget at the 
to date uh, with 16 million. And yeah, and, and I mean, I don't know if at that time, I can't remember if at that time many of these um, actors or this just cast has been very famous either. I mean, maybe Emma Thompson was a bit more famous, but Kate Winslet hadn't even, hasn't even had her big break from Titanic yet, you know, and, and I don't know what Hugh Grant was doing at that time <laughs> so or Alan Rickman probably I don't know was that before Die Hard I don't know I, I can't remember it was the after date. Die yeah it was after Die Hard because so before Alan Die Rickman is, you know was more than he would have had more rapport than the other you know probably him and Emma Thompson has a bit more pull than say you know Kate Winslet at that at that point yeah, certainly Kate Winslet. I mean, she was already an established actress. She'd done t- television work as well as some film mm-hmm. work. But you're right in saying that she wasn't pushed to the forefront. She hadn't received her A-list status uh, that obviously Titanic provided with. Yeah. Um, Alan Rickman, I mean, he was already an established actor. I mean, Die Hard, he was like his first move, move into actually doing film. Before then, he was doing theatre work, which is always an interesting thing. You go out to see a play and you think, oh, there's the guy I want to play this charismatic charismatic uh, terrorist in my film um but i mean a lot of the cast i mean they're very familiar to british audiences because there's sort of like a lot of main stays um and people that we've sort of we've sort of seen on like uh for like many tv productions which is obviously why when i think of emma thompson it's where i sort of like i think of a sort of like tv work and then then sort of like lesser so the uh, film sort of work. I mean, here I mean we get the the pairing of Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson, something that we get repeated like years later with uh, mm-hmm. Love Actually, where yeah. the the two actually got coupled up together. So, <laughs> but I mean Emma Thompson. I mean it's well three quarters <laughs> of his cast was in Love Actually. So <laughs> I know <laughs> it, it, this is. This is the problem with British casting. We tend to recycle a lot of the same actors. It's sort of like, oh, you're British and popular. Let's cram you in this film. And it's so funny when you see like Hugh Laurie in this film, who I think if I'm going to be anyone in this film, I would probably be him, just the guy trying to read the paper and not be involved in all this nonsense that's going on. <laughs> he was the most. He was by far the most amusing character ever. He had like. But we had a whole discussion about this where it was like he had like three lines, but every time he would just nail it on the head with just how much he was so he was kind of like the picture of what would happen if you married for money. Yes, indeed. (laughs) And just, you know, the long term torment it would cause. Same with Hugh Grantham and he a year earlier, he does four weddings and a funeral, which it really gives him the sort of push into it and it's kind of surprising when you think of him having that that star status from that film and then here he's sort of more of a supporting role it's a very small role that he has here and certainly when you see him appear on screen if you're not familiar with the the subject material you would think oh well he's going to be in it for a decent chunk of the film he's not just gonna appear and then be cast off to london and then suddenly make a grand reappearance at the end of the film because we need to wrap this up yeah but but I think that, you know, I think it's 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 a different thing because I think that for, while I think Sense and Sensibility, you know, I was reading about how it was trying to appeal to both um, Austin aficionados and, and, you know, the the younger audience kind of that, you know, can be introduced to this material without having known the reading material before. It's really about uh, the, 
you know, these stories have never been about the men. Austin books are very female-centric. They're stories about yeah. the girls. And I think that that's why, no matter whether you look at, you know, Pride and Prejudice or you compare it to this one, um, your main male leads are never there throughout. They will, you know, be named or they'll be talked about and they'll be introduced at the beginning. They might make a brief appearance in the middle and then, you know, they'll pop back at the end for the wrap up. But, you know, they're never like constantly there. Definitely so. And I mean, how do we feel about the portrayal of the two sisters here? Because obviously the two sisters are very sort of key to this this story and it's a recurring sort of theme within sort of Austin work really. I mean the fact that you always have like you said already you have like strong female role, but sisters in particular are a recurring theme. I mean it's we have this yeah. in Sense of Sensibility and you have it in obviously in this uh it, you have it in Pride and Prejudice as well. It's yeah. makes it very if you're not a big Austin fan, it's very hard to like distinguish between them and just feel that well she was really just recycling a lot of the plots, really. Well, not exactly. I mean, every single one has a different scenario and um whether you talk about I mean, if you talk about something like, you know, um uh, in, in, in later like another work would be signed like Mansfield Park, which I don't know was ever adapted, but Mansfield Park yes, was, was you know, might have siblings, but it was more of like one person, you know, there wasn't really a strong sibling connection in that one. It's really Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice that really has that kind of comparison, I think. Mm. Uh, but I mean, talking about like Sense and Sensibility, like I think the sisters are are done really well in the sense that, you know, obviously, unlike Pride and Prejudice, which is about Pride and Prejudice, um, Sense and Sensibility is about finding that balance of the two sisters um, in their different views of both love and how much, you know, how outwardly you're, you, you control those romantic sensibilities, as they call it, right? And, and you, you know, like, so to Marianne, how, how controlled um, Eleanor is to her feelings is very, it, it makes her feel like she's not portraying those, uh, those feelings to make people to make you know say um say for edward ferris to understand how she's actually feeling towards him and that's why you know they always say that you know he left because he didn't feel you know the 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 emotions that she did whereas you know marianne's feelings of being very you know very just you know let it all out and i'm not gonna hide my feelings and just you know, that sort of thing is also very unaccepted in the society and something that while, you know, Eleanor doesn't, does understand, she doesn't approve of it because, you know, Marianne is kind of like single-handedly ruining her own reputation because the society means, like, how the society views you is so important back in, back in that time period. I mean, we obviously say that, say that, but at the same time, when we look at the character Pabst, I mean, Marianne seems to have certainly a better time of things than her sister does. Um, she has a number of suitors, including, obviously, the dashing John Willoughby, who, in typical costume drama thing, encounters her while she's off walking in the moors and twists her ankle, which is just a wonderful reoccurring In a rainstorm. <laughs> I know. It's just... <laughs> 
It's this sort of nonsense that um, I'm sure that it's just charming like the costume drama fans, but to myself I'm thinking, really? This again? It's like, <laughs> nobody wants to walk in the moors in the rain. <laughs> it sucks. Apparently she does. Austin, Austin characters love to walk in crap weather. I can tell you that much. They do. <laughs> they always they, love to walk in crap weather. They. It seems to be like a recurring thing. As soon as there's like a slightest sign of bad weather, you've got someone running, either running away, or going for walking in the uh, in the bad weather. And as I say, it's always on the moor, which, being someone who like grew up walking on the moors, I can tell you it's not <laughs> not as exciting as I'm sure Austin would like you to believe that they are. It's just you know basically farmland and sheep and. Well, you know, that's, that's about what makes it. Their character unique, right? So, uh, but uh, yeah, obviously peculiar and unique is what these ladies are. But I love the fact she's out in the middle of nowhere, and he just happens to be riding his horse by, which is mm-hmm. just ah. Uh. So, and I mean, it. I think this is something I like about Thompson's script. Again, if you're not familiar with the material, you get to enjoy all these little moments where he's obviously introduced and he's all dashing and you think, oh, wow, this is going to be the Mr. Darcy of the piece. But no, of course, he's an absolute cad as he uh, goes off and uh, but marries another woman for money. I don't know. I, I don't, you know, for, for, for people who know, obviously for people who know Austin writing, you know Willoughby is going to be the crap person because just like, you know, Pride and Prejudice had um, had that other soldier guy that I forgot his name of. Mr. Wickham, who's that kind of charming man who comes in and he's kind of like, you know, your perfect guy, you know, where he's he's charming and he's handsome and he like just knows you really well. And he, you know, he's not, you know, kind of like, you know, the the more awkward sort of person, which I think in that sense, Hugh Grant as as, you know, in, in the sense of comparison to Willoughby and and whatnot, or, you know, obviously in the sense Willoughby is the comparison to, you know, is, is against the character of Alan Rickman's um, Colonel Bra- uh, Brandon, right? Yes. So you have this really huge contrast where it's a lot of, dis- it's, it's a lot of comparison and a lot of contrast between what is your expectations and what is your reality of things, right? You can have this dream kind of man who you can fall in love with have a great time but in the end the person who's going to be more true to you in the end would that be kind of more the type of person who is like colonel brandon who takes really good care of her and while he's kind of more of a sensible person in that sense you know bringing in the sense like a more sensible type of person um, and it's less of you know that romantic sensibility excitement deal Hmm. you have you know Colonel Brandon, in the end, is 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 the man who really is with her through all of this crap <laughs> that she goes through, you know, and all her bad decisions and all that sort of stuff that you know all the hardships. So I think that in 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 the terms of the script and in terms of character design and how it's all really portrayed, like all this comes together and reflects, you know, reflects that. Um, that Austin kind of, you know, the Austin kind of story that's trying to be told here of, you know, just in that sense of, you know, um, how you how you portray love and how do you, you know, your men and, and that's in their life and, and, you know, just how these two girls, how these two, I don't know, girls, ladies, um, they, you know, they, they view this whole situation, especially, 
you know, as, as you know, you see that Eleanor is obviously the much more responsible type of person. So she sees through all this and, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it's, um, you know, it's a complex situation of just how people are carried away by appearances of, of, you know, the, the, the superficial side of things. And they don't really notice those deeper elements of, of other characters. And all these characters kind of have that kind of, I guess, depth to them where, you know, Willoughby has, you know, he goes away and we realize that, you know, he's going to turn into, he's taking kind of like the path of the Hugh Laurie character. Mm. Um, it's... And, 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 you know, and, and, you know, like, obviously they have kind of like those, you know, a lot of the movie really is a very typical period drama adaptation, obviously. You know, you have beautiful music and you have that sort of stuff. And you also have, you know, those smoke and mirrors kind of ending where you think this happened, but oh no, this didn't happen. What? <laughs> you misunderstood that situation. You, for, you, you left out that, you know, what went through the, what went through the mill, you know, like kind of the rumor mill came out all wrong you were missing like this piece of information it's i think this, this again is where Timson's script really comes into sort of play really and the fact yeah. that because it is a visual medium it means you can play up elements of the novel and you can change things and make subtle little changes such mm. as the fact that the sisters are shown living a much more opulent lifestyle before yeah. they're basically thrown out on the rear um <laughs> <laughs> because their brother's um, their brother's wife has uh, decided that initially, because we in the opening he's like, "Oh, I will give them." I think it's like <laughs> five thousand pounds, and over the course of the scene, it like basically drops down to five hundred that they're going to get. So yeah. they're basically left destitute, and uh, he's still living this. He's still living this this uh, rich and fabulous lifestyle, and the fact that that uh, he can say it with such a straight face and I <laughs> kind of loved the fact that the comedy comedic element of the banter between the two sisters is really sort of played up in the opening and it's a shame that it wasn't so strong for the rest of the film is mm -hmm. is, is during the opening where um, they talk about the fact that she wants the the key to the silver the silver cabinet because she probably wants to count all the pieces to make sure they're not stealing anything and at the same time, we've also got elements such as with uh, Willoughby, where he's his dashingness is really played up. They lit on so thick, um, to the point that we, when it comes to like Colonel Brandon, they really prop Colonel Brandon's character up a lot more than it felt that they did in the book mm. um, by just using him to highlight just what a cad Willoughby is. But yeah, Willoughby's there, and as you said, he's riding in the rain and reading sonnets and. These usual, uh, <laughs> yeah. this usual eye rolling stuff that uh, I'm sure that you fans of bodice ripping have really kind of excited to see. But as someone who, uh, so this is again, this is the this is a real sort of relationship of how material is sort of taught compared to if you just pick up these books and read them yourself. Because yeah. having done English lit and had the tedious way that these novels are done in class, I can tell you it really takes a lot of the charm off them. So. Mm. there's a lot of these elements that are really sort of uh don't perhaps hold the same sort of charm that they do to do to, to austin fans so i mean i I really liked how the, the character willoughby was played i mean the fact he's like 
it's almost like his Jekyll and Hyde style performance we get here with him because he's obviously shown all charming and trying to uh, obviously seduce Eleanor. And she's Marianne. Uh, Marianne, sorry, he's uh, trying to seduce Marianne, and and I mean she's so young and naive. I mean it's sort of like a wink of a schoolboy to get her out of that dress. It doesn't really take much to charm her, charm her so much. So when they meet again in London. And he's, as I said, he's, he's like he doesn't know who she is. He just completely blanks it. It's just, uh, it's really sort of well played up. And it's, it, it, you appreciate the changes that Thompson makes, even though she sticks very close to the sort of like the source material. She does obviously mm-hmm. take the opportunity to make these sort of changes and, and sort of, I don't want to say improve upon the material, but certainly we make it work better as, it's a visual medium than it does compared to a novel because as you probably I, know there's certain things you can do in a book that work that perhaps don't work in a film and sort of vice versa yeah and and like that i think that's a really important thing to remember i think whenever we do adaptations which is why i'm i'm always good with adaptations making the necessary changes to make it on screen be more you know because, you know, when you're reading, you have these descriptions, these long overdone, uh, these, you know, really descriptive paragraphs that really, like, kind of um, make a scene come alive. Where, you know, in a movie, you don't have that same kind of thing. You can, it because you can visually see it. A lot of things are hidden away as in, like, you know, how someone is feeling or how someone is reacting to something. And all that relies heavily on, you know, a lot of things that have to be shown on screen. And... It's one of those things where I think that, you know, Willoughby's character, while, you know, I'm not, uh, I guess because I'm an Austin fan and I kind of, and I, and I kind of know kind of like where this character is going already. I wasn't really like, you know, super seduced by this character either. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed like Thompson's, uh, way of just her, the way that she wrote the script where... There are certain lines, especially one where he comments about Colonel Brandon being kind of like, um, you know, kind of just being like that competent man, but no one remembers talking to him. I think something like that, like mm. paraphrasing. I don't remember that line exactly. And and in the end, you know, you, you see is that 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 really, really great ending where when Marianne gets better in her when she gets better from her mega flu or something like that, she she like wakes up and as she's addressing everybody in the room for the first time she notices you know colonel brandon in the hallway and she thanks him and that's kind of like a progression of script which gives this character so much more but because we as you know the audience watching this the movie is scripted in a way where you know colonel brandon is this character who appears who appears throughout but yet he does all these little things behind the scenes, which, you know, obviously Marianne doesn't appreciate because because of the fact that, you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't talk about it. He doesn't ask for, you know, approval or ask for, you know, just appreciation. So, you know, it, it's it's a it's a very big contrast in these two characters. And, you know, Thompson's script is is really good at really like making these characters have this subtlety to it. And I think that that's how they work really well with Ang Lee because Ang Lee, as we saw with, you know, Wedding Banquet and, you know, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman and stuff like that, is a very subtle kind of director. He works 
he works with his scripts that are very subtle and executing things. And, and this is where, you know, this, this, the script and, and, you know, the direction really comes together. Hmm. Certainly so. And uh, the scene where she, she's out in the rain, uh, Windsor, I did actually catch hypothermia shooting that sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, it should also be noted that uh, during the outside sequences there was a particularly testing sequence involving a flock of sheep that made Angley swear off working with animals again something that he did <laughs> actually break when it came to work doing Brokeback Mountain and while we've been obviously talking about these characters I've been trying to pace why the character Colonel Brandon really didn't work for myself I mean too, obviously with the fact with Alan Rickman playing the role and I think that the problem is that because with Alan Rickman you get so familiar with him playing villainous roles. I mean, obviously mentioned Hans Gruber. We he plays the sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And the fact is, you're just waiting for that villainous term that never comes. And the fact that he's so he's so emotionally unattached and just seems like like he doesn't seem to be like the most obvious uh, sort of match for either sister. But, so, but, you know, but the thing is, isn't that what his character is, though? Because I understand, me, yeah, I understand what his character is. To me, I is. feel like that's what his character is supposed to be. He's supposed to be kind of like the opposite of what Marianne is. Marianne is looking for someone who's like her, who's really willing to, you know, just, you know, with no, no, like, without, with, with, without holding anything out, just, just expressing just outright their feelings. Whereas... Mm. That's why Colonel Brandon is kind of like that person who isn't like that. And in in the long run, it's it's something that, you know, she sees as worth, you know, being with than the fact that, you know, than the fact of, you know, fi- seeing that difference. And it's that contrast, right? And I think that that's why, like, for me, Alan Rickman worked so well in this role. Because he's able, to, he's a very subtle character also. He's a very quiet person and... He has those little, like, he's able to express himself through, through like, his eyes or just through the body language and not through just his words. Definitely. So, and I think, again, this is uh, just the, the point of when you become so familiar with actors playing a certain type of role that you can to sort of transfer it onto every role that they play since. It's sort of like that you're just waiting for that other shoe to drop. I mean, obviously, his, his performance... It, other character is very sort of, sort of in keeping with the tone, but it's uh it, it as I said, it's just he's plays villain so well that it just sort of cracks in my head. I'm just always constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop when it comes to his characters. So, well, that's because you haven't watched what I think Dark Harbor. He's not a bad guy, and then he's not a bad guy in love. Har- actually, well, he's having an affair, I guess. But yeah, so kind yeah, of and and guy. he's and then like in one of his later roles that I that I think I watched like a few a uh, year or two ago was uh, a li- a little chaos, and he wasn't he was a very mild character there because he played uh, King Louis the fourteen or something. Yeah, yeah. So you know, um, so yeah, it's. As I said, it's not. It's, it's bizarre. I mean, obviously, when it comes to like the, the period dramas, I think as because of having coming up, surrounded by these sort of productions, it's all, and the British film productions being what they are, where we seem to just churn these things out, uh, <laughs> be it on TV or be it in cinema. It seems to be just the only thing we're able to make. You just long for a non-dramatic family drama. 
Brits. <laughs> a fun little social satire, but it just never seems to happen for us Brits over here. So, and I think, and it's and it's strange, obviously, when I and I think it's just this familiarity that just sort of makes me struggle to warm to the the material more than obviously yourself, Kim. And we, when we obviously compare this to to uh, like the Asian costume dramas and in particular I think when we just keep him with Ang Lee when we look at uh, when we get to Crouch and Tiger and Dragon I think it, we're going to be flipped the roles are going to be reversed here so I'll probably be the one gushing away and uh, you'll be the one going yeah it's okay I've, I've <laughs> seen and I've, I've seen and seen this all before this is just old hat to myself so <laughs> that will be a, a fun one once we uh, obviously get onto that one so but then again, since it's Christian Dragon was memorably described as sense and sensibility with swords, so Well, you know, I mean, the thing is I think the next thing before we, we wrap this this thing up is is really talking about what Ang Lee did contribute to that did this did sense and sensibility in your opinion did it change because Ang Lee was the director or would it have made no difference who the director was? Because I feel like so far we've talked mostly about, you know, how Thompson's script really elevated this movie. Yes. But did Ang, like, as I think, you know, I, I think that when I, when I was watching this movie, what became really obvious is what I think is that it didn't really matter who the director really was for this type of movie. But it was significant that we talked about it because it was his first enter, entrance into the Hollywood system. You know, something that wasn't in, you know, in, in his own language and, and wasn't, you know, and, and it was a much bigger budget than he had worked with before. Definitely. So I think that Thompson is certainly the, the key element of this this film. She's the real sort of backbone in the both in the fact terms that she takes on the lead and she's also handling the description duties. What Lee brings to the film, though, is the cinematography and the the visual mm-hmm. style that the film has. Mm-hmm. While it's certainly not as inventive or as uh, creative as his later films, we certainly see that same eye for detail, especially in the small, minute details in terms of like costume and character interaction that we saw within the wedding banquet and eat, drink, uh, man, woman. That when things are like kept on like a small scale or when we've got like those grand sort of like the ballroom sequences his cinematography really comes across in his eye for detail nothing ever feels muddled everything seems to have its place and and it's right sort of spacing and framing and that's what he sort of brings to the film here i mean obviously it's his first film it's his first studio film he's still a new director so i would feel that he wouldn't have the same sort of sway that he would obviously have with his later productions and i think that certainly this was he was sort of basically drafted in because of uh, the the producers liking the wedding banquet so much and seeing that this the it sort of had the style that they were looking for with this film but this was very much thompson's production the only thing as i said the only thing she's not really doing is just directing but when your script and especially something like Austin you have the sort of control that a script writer wouldn't have and if like a sort of more mainstream project I think as well the fact that this is uh, the Austin I mean Austin like Bronte is so ingrained in British culture the fact that 
coming in as like an American director, you kind of don't want to be messing, and you're working with a largely English cast, so you kind of want to feel that they know what they're doing already because this is what they've come up doing. The most of them, most of the cast have like come up through theatre background, and they've they play these sort of roles numerous times before, so you get the feeling that Lee's kind of like letting the actors just do what they know that they can do with these characters and just basically focusing on the cinema, cinema uh, cinematography side of things more than uh than the performance side of things hmm. yeah um i know certainly the the austin society felt that uh hugh grant was too good looking to play edward ferris <laughs> they 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 phoned to complain to uh Lee's producer James Jamus to uh say that they should recast <laughs> recast Hugh Grant's role. Yeah, but I mean in the end the 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 you know the suitor is always supposed to be kind of, you know, a bit dashing. But I think Hugh Grant does try to really downplay himself a little into this, you know, more kind of like rigid character as his character is supposed to be a little bit more um you know, kind of like awkward. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, um, and I mean, Hugh Laurie was actually going to play Colonel Brandon originally um, before he was obviously relegated to the role of Mister Palmer. I don't know, relegated. Is the I think right I word, think but... they would have. I think I think if Hugh Laurie and Alan Alan Rickman swapped roles, it would have still been really entertaining either way. Alan Rickman um, reading the paper would have still been funny. Exactly, you know the part where you know they're 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 talking about you know we 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 had a whole funny moment where they were talking about you know oh is it that many miles away the wife goes and he and he's like it can't be it can't be and then he's like in the newspaper try <laughs> it's like that was that was so entertaining. <laughs> I just love the fact when his paper gets creased and, yeah, and then he like reaches over to like smooth it out. <laughs> but again, this is where Hugh Laurie can do so. Yeah. much like bill murray he can do so much with so little yeah, just exactly. a simple little look and i don't think that alan rickman would have personally would have had a more exasperated um sort of reaction to to that whereas you laurie plays it very simple and i think that's that's a great thing i mean the man's acting behind a newspaper for christ's sake and he's still <laughs> one of the most engaging aspects of the film exactly <laughs> um well with the script emma thompson won the Academy Award for Best Screenplay, mm -hmm. becoming the first person to win Oscars for both acting and writing. Um, and uh, both Thompson and Winslet did live together, which really helps bond, helps with the sisterly bond, which you can see, and that's one of my f sort of key aspects of the film. I think definitely Thompson really sort of sells it as the older sister. Uh, even though it, it feels like there's a much more of a, an age gap between them, and uh, Lee also spent six months living in England prior to filming to uh, sort of acclimatise himself to the British sense of humour. So that probably explains why he does let them get on with things. Further viewing, if you like this one, I think this is probably the most easiest further viewing that we're going to have this season. So what would you recommend? Mentioned, I think we already mentioned everything from the further viewing. So if you really want to watch the three quarters of the main leads back together, then it would be Love Actually would be my further viewing. Um, if you want something, you know, quite in the same universe and kind of story would be, and Austin would be Pride and Prejudice. Um, and the particular I always one? like to, 
And then, and then I think one a little bit out of the left field, but kind of in that same um, family drama period, uh, you know, period costume drama sort of style would be, um, I think that people don't talk about enough is um, the, the, it's like a TV drama, but I think it's only like four episodes, um, which is North and South. Um, that one is one of my favorites. Uh, so I think that, you know, it's a great time to mention it. <laughs> Okay. Uh, the one that I would throw out there as well would be Emma. Yes. With Gwyneth Paltrow, I feel that it's very much in the same sort of same sort of grouping of these uh, these films as it came out shortly afterwards, and it you know it's Gwyneth Paltrow convincing us that she can play a Brit, and also well, has a, yeah. oh, it convinced me that she can play a well, Brit. I mean, I? just like how you feel about you know. Um, English lit having like broken this part this apart I actually read Emma in a a cinema in cinema in in, in books yeah. uh, course so we had to we had to like rip the the script the, the movie apart and and the book apart and stuff like that so I don't have quite the same charm about Emma when you get graded for for the work that you're doing yeah I think when it comes to English lit it's very much on the teacher you have as to how you appreciate appreciate the source material, um, because there's so much of there's so much of it that made me just not want to continue doing English lit. Um, in particular, Alan Bennett is something that they love in English lit, and after being subjected to four weeks of a cream cracker under the city, I just wanted to beat Alan Bennett up and down the block. It's sort of like when they had that Fight Club question of like. It's like, who would you fight live, live and dead? It's like, Alan Bennett, I would kick the seven shades out of that man for what he subjected me to. <laughs> By God. And there's English lit fans there who just rave on about him. And it's sort of like, it's the same sort of crowd that also say like Stephen Fry's like the second coming of this scholar that you should all be following and why they keep spamming my wall with that why Stephen Fry doesn't believe in God's video. It's mm. like, just leave me alone, people. <laughs> but uh, no, Alan Bennett, the most overrated author. And it's, uh, his material is just used to torture school children, I'm sure. It's uh, hideous stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, it's if you want a really unique take on the source of material, you can also read Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters from Quirk Classics, which is uh, part of the same category of uh, books that also gave us Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, as well as Android Karina and uh, The Meow Amorphosis, which saw a salary man turning into a cat. Um, the Sensibility and sea, Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters sees, uh, is probably better than Prime Prejudice and Zombies as they really sort of nailed down the formula so it's sort of less cut and paste and sees a world where it's now inhabited with dangerous sea monsters so we have the opening with the father dying of a hammerhead shark attack rather than his obviously more traditional death that we have in the film here and it really sort of goes on from there with the colonel being a half man half squid creation and uh, our cad being a, a diver style creature who wears otter skin <laughs> so maybe that's what we'll, look, we'll discuss at some later point I mean that's brings us the end of uh, another episode of Moose and Tea we hope you've enjoyed this jaunt through the period drama of uh, Jane Austen's uh, Sensibility 
And um, Kim, where are we going to next? Oh, we're hopping forward two years into 97's um, The Ice Storm. Yeah, Ice Storm, probably one of the most anticipated films for myself of this filmography and a film that I keep wanting to see and I've just never got around to seeing. But certainly with uh, Cameron Klein and Sigourney Weaver as well as a early appearance by um, Elijah Wood as well. So certainly plenty to look forward to on that and uh, we'll be obviously talking about that on the next episode. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe buttons and maybe leave us a review. It really helps raise the profile of the show. You can also check out our blog, which is moviesandtpodcast.wordpress.com which has our full archive of episodes and uh, you can also follow us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter as well as Instagram as well where we post not only announcements for our episodes but also interesting uh, bits and pieces relating to the directors as well um but thank you as always for listening and uh, we will be back next time talking about the ice storm good night